Good morning. Um, I hope everybody had a really good Thanksgiving. I hope that everybody was able to spend a lot of time with family. I hope that everyone was able to eat lots of food. I know that I ate a lot of food. Went up for seconds and thirds and fourths and fifths. I, I had a good Thanksgiving. I had a really good Thanksgiving. And then we had that awesome holiday, you know, this past Friday, Black Friday, kind of an ominous name for a holiday, if you ask me. And it's the only holiday in the whole calendar year where you can trample somebody to save like $30 on a TV and not get in trouble for it, right? So uh, I joke, but like people actually do that. And I think it's kind of um, indicative of a discontentment problem we have in our society today. I don't, I'm not saying that Black Friday is not great because like everybody loves a good deal, right? I do. Um, but I am saying that sometimes when we see the hoops that people jump through just to get that next thing, whether it be a new car or a new TV or a new house or whatever it is, I think that it can show us that we might have a discontentment problem in our society, right? And I think that discontentment can sometimes lead us to ways of living that don't reflect Christ. So I want to start in 1 Thessalonians 5.16 today. It's just three short verses, and none of them actually mention contentment directly but I think we'll find that it's almost a recipe for contentment. Paul here is writing to the church in Thessalonica, ending his letter with a few final instructions to them, and he says this. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So pretty easy, right? Just, you know, constantly rejoice and always be praying and, always, and give thanks in every circumstance, you know? Easy. I might as well just end my sermon now. You guys can go home. I don't even need to come out here today, right? But seriously, Paul, what the heck? Like, that's crazy to ask of me. Like, I get upset when McDonald's doesn't get my order right. Like, how am I supposed to be thankful in every moment? And I don't know about you guys, but it's hard enough to be thankful when times are good, right? It's really easy when you're comfortable to start taking things for granted and not be thankful. And when times are hard, when life isn't going well, I mean, how do you rejoice always and give thanks in every circumstance when you've just lost your job? Or how do you rejoice always and give thanks in every circumstance when you've lost a loved one? How do you do that? And we're entering the holiday season, and there's a lot of like happiness and joy with that, right? We love celebrating Christmas and Thanksgiving, all those holidays. But also there's a lot of sadness that comes with the season. If anybody's lost anyone before, right? Sometimes the holidays can bring up a lot of bad memories, a lot of grief comes up, and also depression seems to be a big thing in the winter season, right? So how do we, how do we practice thankfulness in all circumstances? How do we create a heart of gratitude through that? Well, Paul, to his credit, was not somebody who had a really easy life, and he's just like, yeah, give thanks in all circumstances, I've got everything that I need. Paul went through a lot, he got attacked by mobs on multiple occasions for preaching the gospel. He was put in jail on multiple occasions for preaching the gospel. There's a running theme here. Um, he also was flogged. He was in a shipwreck, which I don't think any of us can really say. Uh, he got bit by a poisonous snake, and he also was blinded at some point. So he kind of went through a lot, right? His, his life was not him writing these letters from a cruise ship in the Mediterranean. I mean, he was on a ship, but not for very long. He, he definitely had a hard time, yet he still says, rejoice always, pray continually, and give thanks in all circumstances. And Steve mentioned last week um, 
Many of his letters, many of Paul's letters, start out with a section of thanksgiving, either to God or to the people that he's writing to, including the letters that he wrote from prison. And uh, we talked about the thanksgiving section of Ephesians last week, but we're going to look at the thanksgiving se- section bleh, in Philippians this week. So starting in Philippians 1, verse 3, it says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So there are a few things that we can kind of pry from this text, even just from these four short verses, right? So right off the bat, he's kind of applying what he says in 1 Thessalonians 5.16. You know, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. It's kind of in reverse order here. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you. So giving thanks, you can check that off. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray. So praying continually, you can check that off. And with joy, rejoicing always, you can check that off. So these three things are all connected, right? And Paul goes back to it at the beginning of Philippians here. And we can also catch from this text with a little insight into the history of Paul's relationships with the church in Philippi that there's a a certain mentality that helps us find contentment. And that's the mentality of abundance. And in the case that Paul is talking about here, physical material abundance. So you might be wondering what in these verses kind of indicate material possessions, why, why it's important to be thankful for that. And it's actually the word partnership in verse 5. It says, because of your partnership in the gospel. And when he uses the word partnership here, it's not really like a partnership like teaming up. It kind of is. But um, when they used it during Paul's days and letters and stuff, that word meant more of an economic sense, like a business part- partnership, that kind of thing. So when he's using partnership here, he's actually giving thanks for the material needs that the Philippians met. And I think it's important to make that distinction because sometimes we think of contentment as just um, a spiritual thing. Like it's only involves me being content with myself and my spiritual life. But contentment involves actively being thankful for what we have. He mentions it again later. If we skip forward to chapter 4, 15 through 16, we read this. Moreover, as you Philippians know in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel... When I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. So Paul is incredibly thankful to the Philippians, right? He's thankful for the material needs that they met, right? They blessed him with that, even when they were in need themselves. And you know the old saying, idle hands are the devil's workshop? It kind of rings true when it comes to contentment. If we aren't actively filling our heart and our mind with thankfulness for the things and the blessings that we've been provided with, we're going to start filling it with other things. We're going to fill that void with looking at others and seeing what they do have and looking at ourselves and noticing what we don't have, right? We're going to fill it with jealousy. And I know it's really hard to stay out of the comparison game. Like, I know that I do it personally. I know that it's really easy for me to see somebody that I know that's my age that's farther along financially or not in the same place I am or gets blessed a certain way. And I'm like, man, why can't that happen to me? And that usually serves as a wake-up call, right? Like, man, I have so little. I don't. I'm really blessed. And it makes me look at my life, right? And that's what, 
that's what that needs to serve as, because often it, we can fall into that pitfall if we aren't actively being thankful. And another pitfall that an active attitude of thankfulness helps prevent is the pitfall of pride. We live in a culture that's kind of, especially here in the United States, is very much about earning what you get, right? It's all about working hard, the American dream, you get the white picket fence, you earn that, I worked hard for it, I pulled myself up by my bootstraps, that kind of thing. But for Christians, that's not really what we learn, right? We learn that as Christians, we're broken. Like what we deserve is nothing, and everything good that comes to us is a blessing from God. So what being active in Thanksgiving helps us prevent is giving credit where it's not due. It's not to us, it's to God. Everything that we have is credited to God. And that's something that we have to keep remembering. And remembrance uh, is another, it's another important key towards contentment. If we look at verse five again, he says, your partnership from the first day until now. So we know that the church in Philippi has kind of been partnered with Paul for a long, long time. Like, they have been with him since day one. They've been providing resources and helping him and praying with him spiritually forever, right? Since he first started out in ministry. And this should remind us that when we are trying to cultivate a spirit of thanksgiving in ourselves, we need to practice remembrance of where God has come through for us. I think that we find ourselves in a place of discontentment sometimes because we have some kind of like God-specific amnesia, if you will. Like for me personally, I know it's really easy for me to give thanks when I see God doing something in the moment, right? Like right then, God provides a blessing or whatever it is. I'm like, I'm hyped up. I'm like, yes, thank you, God. You are awesome. But then a few days later, it's out the window and I'm back at looking at what I don't have and where I need again, right? I think we suffer from that kind of amnesia, if you will. It's, it's a, how we live in this culture that's a, what have you done for me recently? That kind of thing. It's, it's develops in us where we are really happy in the moment, but then we forget it just moments later. And it's so important for us to keep these memories and events of where God has come through for us in our hearts because when we end up in bad situations, like Paul in jail, for example, we can go back to those times where we've seen God has come through for us and be reassured of God's faithfulness in the future. So the Israelites throughout the Old Testament would build altars at specific locations. <clears throat> and not altars for sacrifice, right? We usually think of altars and we think they're going to sacrifice like a goat or something. But this, this altar was for remembrance. If you go to Joshua chapter 4, verse 4, it says, So Joshua called together the 12 men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. I think when we look at our lives, we need to start 
actively building these altars of remembrance, if you will. So not necessarily go out in your backyard and build like a pile of stones whenever God does something good for you. If that works, it works. But maybe it's just a sticky note on your fridge. Maybe it's setting your phone background to remind you of a time that God has come through for you. But whatever, whatever it is, we need to be intentional about building altars of remembrance. Because there's going to be times where the weight and the pain of our situation, of our circumstances, whatever it is, however we're hurting, it's going to be so overwhelming that we, we can't even muster any thankfulness for our present situation. We can't. We're going to be hurt that much. But that's why these altars of remembrance come through for us. They kind of pierce through the blinders that grief and despair at our present situation set up and remind us to be thankful of the incredible things that God has done for us and how he's going to come through in the future. Speaking of dark times, I think it's important to remind ourselves that when we're trying to strive for the recipe of contentment, right, rejoicing always, praying continually, and giving thanks in all circumstances, it's not achieved by being ignorant of our situation and our circumstances. It's not like an ignorance is bliss kind of situation. When we need to come to God to get to that contentment, first, sometimes we just need to Look at the reality of our situation and be honest about it. Dealing with the terrible circumstances of our situation is where thankfulness can start to spring because when we bring our hurt and our pain to God, he's able to burden that with us and then we're able to move into thanksgiving. I know you guys have been going through the different types of psalms and you guys have seen the crazy spectrum of human emotion that the psalms offer, right? He goes, David goes from writing chapter after chapter on lamenting, right, about how terrible his situation is, but then David will also write chapter after chapter of thanksgiving and joy. So you really see the full spectrum of human emotion through that. And sometimes, even in the same psalm, he'll write thanksgiving and laments. Psalm 56, for example, is one of those, and it starts off with, be gracious to me, O God, for man has trampled upon me. Fighting all day long, he oppresses me. My foes have trampled upon me all day long, for there are many who fight proudly against me. So it doesn't sound like David's in a great situation there, right? And he's actually writing this from captivity with the Philistines. And if you remember, the Philistines were really good friends with Goliath. Goliath was a Philistine. And David did not exactly get along with Goliath, right? He killed him. So they probably weren't treating David the best right now from where he's writing this from. But if we jump forward a few verses to verse 12, and by the end of the chapter, David is saying, your vows are binding upon me, O God. I will render thank offering to you. For you have delivered my soul from death, indeed my feet from stumbling, so that I may walk before God in the light of the living. Sometimes on the road to finding contentment, regardless of circumstance, we need to first lament the reality of our circumstances. There's real value to bringing our heart and our pain to God. He wants to hear it. He wants to help us in that burden and that hurt. When times are tough, lament is often the first step towards thankfulness. Now, I'm not saying we should always stay in the lamenting stage, right? We're not trying to be Eeyore. We're, we don't stay in there, but sometimes we also want to skip that step too a lot of the time. We want to, we want to just jump to the happy, joyful part of our circumstances, and sometimes that's easy, but sometimes it's us ignoring our feelings about our circumstances and kind of pushing it down instead of dealing with the pain and the hurt that we're having. 
because it's easier. And sometimes we try and do that for other people too. Sometimes when somebody's gone through something really bad, we'll throw a Bible verse at them, whatever it is, like, you lost your job, but did you remember that you can do all things through God who gives you strength? Like, that kind of thing is good in the moment, and it's well-meaning, but sometimes people need to lament first. Sometimes uh, people just want to hear, yeah, that situation really bites. They want, they want you to be in there with the pain. It's important. That's how God comes to us when we're in pain, right? He comes with us into our situation. God's incarnational. He sent Jesus, right? And so next time, obviously sharing an encouraging Bible verse is important, especially if you know the person, but also just be okay with saying, yeah, your situ- that situation's awful. I'm sorry. So Paul actually uses the word consent directly at the end of Philippians. So I figure we should probably look at that, right? And it's the only time the word is used in the entire Bible. So let's take a look really quickly at Philippians 4.10. Paul is still praising and thanking the church in Philippi for how important they've been to him. He kind of does that the whole book of Philippians. And he says this, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in wants. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. So I like to like, quote that last verse a lot, I think. I think I hear it a lot. And it's comforting, because, yeah, we want to hear that we can do anything we want through God. But we don't really put the rest of the verses behind it to kind of give it context. And it's not to say that God can't help us through anything, right? That's obviously true, and I think that there's a lot of biblical basis for that. But that's not really what this verse is talking about. It's talking about how the secret to contentment is through God, is through God's character. Contentment was something that was greatly admired by the Greek philosophers of Paul's day. Um, they, were, they were greatly blah, greatly influenced by Stoicism, which is a philosophy that considered good and the highest good to be knowledge. So the smartest you can get, that's the best good that you can do in your life. And they also um, aspired to be indifferent to the world around them. So pain, pleasure, happy, sadness, their goal was always to just not really care about it either way. You can think of it like a passive contentment almost. So influenced by this philosophy, a lot of Greek thinkers of the day would have been totally in love with what Paul was saying up until that last verse, right? When you hear whether well-fed or hungry, living in plenty or in want, Paul found contentment, they would have loved that. They would have loved the idea that Paul was indifferent to his surroundings. And they referred to that as self-sufficiency, being, finding your contentment solely in yourself, not your outside circumstances. And we kind of like self-sufficiency in this society too. It kind of goes back to what I talked about earlier, right? Pulling yourself up by your bootstraps is something that we all aspire to. Self-sufficiency, it's something that we still celebrate today. But Paul kind of uses that as a pivot point, almost, to point out the difference between biblical contentment and the contentment that was so highly celebrated in that day. And the difference is the source. So while Stoicism requires indifference to our surroundings and finding contentment in oneself, Paul is saying that that God is the source of contentment. Instead of self-sufficiency, it's God's sufficiency. That's the secret 
It's a contentment. It's God's character. Last week, Steve also looked at some of the different characteristics of God that the psalmist gives to give thanks for, right? And Paul is saying that by leaning into those characteristics, we create contentment in our lives. We find contentment by actively praising God, by actively rejoicing in him, right? By continually being in prayer and by giving thanks in all circumstances. That's how we find contentment, by being active about our contentment. So I want to encourage you guys um, this week to put in place some practical ways to do these things daily. So practicing contentment in the present, maybe it's just setting a reminder on your phone to be thankful, to just say, hey, what am I thankful for today? Maybe it's creating those altars of remembrance, right, to think about how God has been faithful in the past and remind us of how he will be faithful in the future. And since it's God's character that, that's a source of contentment, right, that we are trying to lean into, maybe we need to sit down and just jot down some of the, some of the characteristics of God that we can find comfort in, that we know that we can trust in. Contentment is a really hard thing to achieve, like everything in the spiritual life, right? It's not just, a, well, I got up there and I'm content for the rest of my life. We're good. It's a battle, like everything. It's a battle. It has its ups and its downs. And there's never going to be a point where you hit a level and you just, there you go, I'm content. So don't be discouraged when you slip up. But instead, use that as an opportunity to thank God for his characteristics and lean deeper into who he is. Will you guys pray with me? God, you are amazing. We can find our total contentment in you, God, and I pray that we work to do that in our lives, especially when circumstances are bad, God, especially when it seems like we just can't find anything to be thankful for or grateful for, God. I pray we learn the practice of leaning into you and your characteristics and remembering how you have come through for us in the past and how you will come through for us in the future, God. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Um, as we go into communion, we talked about altars of remembrance, right? And what a better altar of remembrance that we create. I mean, some churches actually have an altar at the front, right? For communion, we have one in the back. That is a way that we remember how God has come through for us ultimately, right? He ultimately came through for us on the cross and sacrificed himself so that we could be saved. So as we take communion today, I, I want us to think about that, to, to really sit on the fact that God has come through for us and that's something that we can think of when our circumstances are not all that great. Um, we're gonna take it together, so if you wanna keep the cup held in your hands, I'll come back up and we'll all take it as a family.